Welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. As a community of faith, we are passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus. The message for this week is from our current verse-by-verse study from the book of James. In each message, we will see some practical truths for living God's way in situations and circumstances that are often out of our control. As always, we would love to have you join us for a Sunday service sometime here soon in Vancouver. You can find directions, more info, and more sermons on our website at citybaptist.ca. James chapter 3, are you there? Let's take our Bibles, let's go check it out today and uh, continue our series, verse by verse study. I figure we've got about five more messages in this study um, before we're done, and, uh, and I'm, I've been encouraged by it. James is a tough book, as you know. We've talked about some hard things, some soul-searching things, and today is another one of those soul-searching messages a little bit, as we talk about the idea of true versus false wisdom. Now, James, as you know, is the brother of who? Who's James, uh, his brother? Who's half-brother? Let's get it clear. What? Jesus, right? So he's, G- my microphone is popping. Did you hear that? Okay. I don't know. Something wrong. Anybody get a new, like, metal implant this week? Or no? <laughs> okay. No. Okay, good. I didn't, but anyway. All right. We'll see if it works now. I'll move, I'll move it over. Uh, so James is the brother of Jesus, right? And uh, he got to grow up with him and, in fact, did not believe in him entirely until his resurrection. But now he's leading the church there in Jerusalem, and he is writing to believers who are scattered all abroad. Well, one of the things that he focused on so much in chapter 3, where we've been, is all about the idea of our words, right? What we say, and more importantly, the impact of our words. And so we've looked at some great verses as we saw uh, in, in the chapter before, and actually the last time we spoke, we talked about how, uh, how the tongue, you know, it's hard to control, and how like a horse is controlled by, a, a, by its bridle or, or by its bit, right? Uh, in the same way, our, our whole bodies can be controlled by our tongue and how we need to be aware of that and be careful with it, how the tongue is a fire and it, it, uh, it can start a forest fire and can cause so many issues. And so he's been talking about that and, and the, the controlling aspect or how we need to be controlling uh, our mouths. But you have to remember, he is writing to a people that are scattered right? He's writing to a people that are not well organized when it comes to the idea of church. For a long time, the early church uh, practiced what we call communal living, and some people live in that way today, and I think it's a little uncomfortable, but that's what they would do as a church, and and a lot of issues came up because they're human, because they are uh, um, still sinful, of course, and that caused some issues, and so they tried to develop churches, and there was leadership, but The main thing that was overriding in the early church that was scattered abroad was the fact that they were under a great deal of pressure. They're under a great deal of pressure. You have to imagine if we as a local church here were under constant persecution in the world outside of this place. Constantly they're under persecution. And in fact, they could lose their lives even for being a follower of Jesus Christ. And so imagine that pressure in your life. Imagine that pressure as you meet together. Sure, there'd be some relief of that pressure when you came to church, but there'd also be the insecurity when someone new came to church, right? Think about that, like, who's this guy? (laughs) You know, is he going to rat us all out? Is she going to, you know, report us to the authorities? And there would be that constant tension and pressure around, uh, 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 around the things of God even and who you could trust. And so as a result of that pressure, as typical when there's pressure that comes to a group or stress that comes to a group, there was the potential for divisions, There was a potential for uh, distractions that would come. And 
again, there was not a lot of formal leadership. That's why these early letters were so important, was to give instruction to the church leaders. And so when there's not a lot of formal leadership, there's not a lot of formalization with how the church should be, there was a struggle for leadership. And what happened is that within the church, different leaders would sort of rise up. They would maybe begin to get a bit of a following. They would convince a few people to uh, follow after their focus or their own brand of wisdom. Remember talking about wisdom today, what they felt was the most important focus of the church. But then ultimately what would happen is that then division would come. And so these leaders would grow up and, or come up in the church and people would follow and division would come. And interestingly enough, Jesus had already addressed it. I want you to see this in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus had talked about the solution to this issue, but they were still struggling with it. He said, beware of false prophets. Remember that? Which come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ravening wolves. We've all seen those like goofy Christian cartoons, you know, of a wolf wearing like this sheep coat, you know, and you're like, I can see him a mile away. Guess what? These kind of people, you can't see a mile away because their wisdom often comes as if it's, it's a very good thing. It comes from God. But then look what he says in verse 16. Jesus said, ye shall know them by their fruits. Here's what, you're going to know the truth. You're going to know the true teachers. You're going to know the false teachers or false wisdom by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Then down in verse 21, he said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name have done uh, many wonder, uh, wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. See, Jesus had already given to the early church and to these believers the way to tell the difference between false wisdom and true wisdom. He had given them uh, the, the things to look for, whether or not you follow after different teachers, and the way that you could know is in the way that those people lived out their lives, the way they lived out their lives. Now, James here is going to continue the thought of his brother in uh, verse number 13, where we're going to begin today. And what he does here is that he continues the thought and then mentions the need for us to separate and identify true wisdom from false wisdom. And so he gets right after it in verse number 13. Check it out. Here it says this in verse 13. Who is a wise man? He's asking a question here. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? He's saying, hey, which one of you or who of you in the church are wise people? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. So we asked the question to those believers, which one of you is a wise person? I'm going to ask you today, which one of you is a wise person? Don't raise your hand. Which one of you is a wise person? Now, as soon as you think of that question, if somebody says to you, hey, do you know someone who's wise? Immediately our minds go to a man with a long white beard, right? I don't know what it is, bearded, white not white men, okay, but long, <laughs> white-bearded men seem to have this connotation of wisdom, and I don't know why. Or you think of an old lady in a rocking chair, right? And every time she comes forward, she does wisdom, wisdom, you know, all this. Okay, maybe that's only me. I'm sorry. Uh, maybe not all of you think of that way. But you think of, you know, this kind of idea in your mind of what wisdom looks like. If for some of you, maybe you thought of immediately, you thought of your family. You thought of someone in your, in your uh, extended family who, who is very wise and you go to for counsel. Uh, maybe for some of you, you thought of yourself. James is contending something here for us. 
he's contending with us at the outset of this passage that true wisdom is not something that is merely intellectually understandable, meaning it's not really something that you can quantify based off of somebody's intellect or off of what they know. He's telling us here that true wisdom is demonstrated in our lifestyle choices and in our response to life. He uses the word conversation, which is a Greek word anastrophe, which means manner of life, conduct, or behavior. It is your manner of life. It is the way you conduct yourself. It is the way that you behave in situations. In other words, what he's saying is that you can actually see what true wisdom is like. You can see it in others, and you'll be able to identify in your own life as it makes itself known in your lifestyle, in the way that you approach the difficulties of life. And he also mentions there, it's not going to show up in a boastful way. Okay, true wisdom is never going to show up in a boastful way. That's why he says here, it's revealed in meekness, which is strength under control. But true wisdom is something that is revealed in our lifestyle. Now, to me, it is a bit of a puzzler, to be honest with you. Biblical wisdom is a bit of a puzzler because what he's trying to say here is that it is something that is evident in the life of a person, but it's not so evident as to draw attention to that person. And to me, that's a puzzler, right? Because we in our humanity, we're like, well, okay, who's got like everything figured out, right? And we're going to look for that person and say, oh, that's a wise person. We need to listen to that person. But what he's saying, true wisdom is of God and it is reflected in a person's decisions and a person's life, but at the same time, it doesn't draw attention to themselves. That's a puzzler, isn't it? <laughs> to me, it's sort of like, wait a minute, it doesn't quite compute with how we think as humans. Thankfully, God doesn't think like us, right? It, it's interesting as well, as you read comparable scriptures talking about uh, someone who has wisdom or someone who has a go- godly lifestyle, I'll just name a, a few real quickly. Philippians 1.27 tells us that a person who's wise like that, it will be revealed, uh, the gospel will be, be revealed in their life. Hebrews 13.5 tells us that true wisdom is shown in contentment. So someone who's content. Uh, 1 Peter 2.12 says that it's, in, it's found in honesty, a glorifying God through your good works. But, and to me, it's kind of hard to, to understand a little bit, but I think one of the best ways to understand it is to illustrate it uh, with the idea of driving. So how many of you remember what it was like to learn how to drive? Anybody? Okay, I have this great picture of, uh, here in Vancouver, you know, of course, we have, the, uh, we have the, the L, right? The big red L, which tells us that a person is learning. Now, I have it here by this Moto rideshare car because actually Moto is the first ridesharing service in Vancouver to allow people with their L's to drive them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny, all of you went, oh, no, and then Lynn said, that's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, she recognizes a need in our city, which is, I don't want to insure my vehicle for my 23-year-old girls to learn how to drive, right? No way. Sorry, Linla. You're just, you're on your own. <laughs> but you can, you can get your own moto, and I'll go sit in the driver's <laughs> passenger seat and watch you crash it. Okay. Um, interesting. So Vancouver's the first city to do that, apparently. I think that's, that's good and not good. But if you remember what it was like to learn how to drive a car, right? You remember you go, and you get to take the test, and, and uh, you have to learn all of those things. But Here's what I want to compare it to. So God's wisdom is a lot like learning to drive a car. Because when you learn how to drive a car, and I know some of you don't have your license, but I think you understand the concept here. When, uh, when you're driving, it is important to make appropriate responses to the constantly changing scenes. And it's very important to exercise judgment when it comes to your speed, when it comes to your distance, right? And when it comes to a braking. All of us have thought we had enough time to brake and ended up having to really smash on the brake and scare everyone in the vehicle. And that's judgment. And so we recognize when you learn to drive, you've got to learn how to make those adjustments. If you're going to be a good driver, you cannot be out driving 
and wondering why the road engineer put an S-curve at this particular spot in the road. You can't be wondering, well, why is this curve at this certain angle? And uh, I mean, you're not, you know, what is the theology behind red, yellow, and uh, uh, green lights? Like, what's the, there's no theology behind it. You understand? Like, you you know, you're trying to come up with these concepts. Like, I wonder why they did that. You're not, you can't be distracted by all of these other things. The the point is you just simply need to see (laughs) and then do the right thing with the situation that is presenting itself to you while you're driving your vehicle. At least that's how you should be driving, okay? (laughs) Here's the connection into wisdom. The effects of true divine wisdom that is from God can enable you and I to do the exact same thing when it comes to the situations of life. See, in order to drive well, you have to keep your eyes open, right? Uh, You have to keep them in front of you. You need to use your head. And in the same way, to live wisely and godly, you need to be clear-eyed about life, right? You need to see life as it is. And then you need to respond accordingly, dependent upon the wisdom of God. Just like when you're driving, you, you respond accordingly to your skills and the preparation that you took in all of your lessons in the same way. Uh, that's how you respond to life. Somebody said it this way, being wise does not mean we understand everything that is going on because of our superior knowledge, right? Understanding the, the math behind the curve in this particular area or the embankment or whatever it is. We don't have to know all of that, but that we do the right thing as life comes along. That is what wisdom is, not understanding every aspect, but simply responding in the right way when the situations come. Others, of course, we know who are less knowledgeable, especially when it comes to driving. I've known people who know everything there is about driving, but they're terrible drivers. (laughs) If you ask them any, any head knowledge question about the test, I mean, they aced it. They got a hundred on their, you know, computer test, right? But I would not want to drive anywhere near them. I wouldn't want to be, I wouldn't want to be in the same vehicle. That's for sure. Okay. It's a head knowledge, but it's not applying into actual uh, uh, evidence in their life. And so this is James sort of overriding thought. I hope that was, uh, I hope you understand what I'm trying to say here. Uh, This is James' initial thought to get us into the passage. He says, listen, uh, it's all about your responses to life. That's made evident. That's true wisdom. It's not about head knowledge, okay? So then he unpacks a couple of examples of wisdom here and uh, and how uh, we see true wisdom. But he first of all begins by talking about false wisdom. So look here, first, uh, point number one, if you're gonna take notes, uh, write down there, false wisdom. Look at verse 14. So he's, he's laid, the, laid the foundation for us. Then he says this, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom, so the wisdom of, of uh, envying and strife, This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is what? Say those three with me. Earthly, sensual, devilish. Whoa, it just got serious. (laughs) For where envying and strife is, there's confusion and every evil work. So James, I mean, right away, he exposes false wisdom for what it is. It is based out of a heart that is envious and full of strife. The word strife there means contending for office. (laughs) contending for position. So here's what James is trying to get across to us. False wisdom is seen in someone who is constantly trying to promote their own ideas and their own views, not for God's glory, but for their own glory. That's it. That's what it is in its simplest form. Remember, he's talking to this early church, and there was people who were promoting their own views, who were promoting their own focuses, uh, and as a result, they would put other people down. 
and they would lobby other people to, hey, get on board with where I'm at and, and follow uh, after what I'm doing. And, and, and the point of it was to put themselves in a position of authority, authority. And what it all came down to was selfish desires is what it came down to. They, uh, they would maybe be envious of other people in leadership, and so they would undermine their authority. They would question their motives uh, at any opportunity, all under the pretenses of wisdom, right? Wisdom. That they have this certain knowledge or this certain idea or they're a wise person, and, uh, and it looked like everybody else's concerns were in mind, but in fact, they were just self-serving. They were just serving themselves. Now, there's a great example of this that happened in uh, both, it's recorded both in 1 Kings and in 2 Chronicles, and it has to do with the king of Israel uh, by the name of Rehoboam. And, and the story with Rehoboam is interesting. He, he came in and became the king after his father. And so when he became the king, he went to his father's advisors, who were older and wiser, of course, and he went to them and he said, hey, what do you guys think I should do? I'm a young king. Uh, what approach should I take with our people? And the older advisor said this, listen, your dad was a tough guy. Uh, your dad, you know, he had some building projects, and uh, he had some, some goals financially for the country, and, and he really taxed the people kind of hard. And he actually called a lot of people from their homes and uh, indentured, or not indentured servitude, but almost forced servitude, so you're going to come work for me and follow my projects. And they've been separated from their families, and, and it's been kind of a, you know, it's not been terrible, but it's been a little bit of a tough thing. And so their suggestion to Rehoboam was this, why don't you back off a little bit? Why don't you lower taxes? Why don't you return the people to their homes? And we promise you that you'll have a good reputation and people will follow you. Well, Rehoboam then went over to his friends who were about his same age. They were his peers. Now, these were younger men, and he went to them. He said, what do you think I should do? Now, this is where we get to the heart of wisdom. Remember, they both are, are advisors, right? They're both people that he went to for advice. Now he comes to the young guys, and he says to them, what do you think I should do? And they're like, hey, bro. <laughs> That's what young people say. They're like, dude, your dad was tough but you need to take it to the next level is what they said. <laughs> Seriously. And they used terms like this. They said, the people of Israel need to know that there's more strength in your little finger than your dad's loins was the word that they used. That's like the seed of his strength. They need to know that there's more, you're tougher in your little finger than all of that. They said this, you need to tell the people of Israel that my dad whipped you with whips, but I'm going to chastise you with scorpions. <laughs> okay, that's a whole nother level of intensity, right? And that's what they said to Rehoboam. So now he's faced with a decision. He has these older, wiser men, and then he has these young, wise men, right? They're advisors. But we get to the heart of the advice by recognizing what's going on. These guys were all about self-serving, weren't they? They're like, hey, not only is our buddy Rehoboam going to be the king, but now we're going to be the main guys. We're going to be the wise men. We're going to be the ones who are giving advice to everybody. We're going to influence him. And, and he's thinking to himself, yeah, I like the idea of being tougher than my dad. I like the idea of, you know, I'm going to do some greater things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to far, uh, far uh, uh, pass whatever he did. And so Rehoboam went with the advice of those younger men. And the Bible tells us that the people rebelled. They were very upset. They even stoned somebody that he sent to a certain area of town. But it says from that point on that no longer did the children of Israel trust the line of David to be king. He was from the line of David. And it, it and it it led to some just really real difficulties in the country because he followed the advice of somebody who was self-serving rather than somebody who had true wisdom. Do you understand the concept there? And, and that's what we need to be aware of in our lives and, and the people that we surround ourselves with because that element of wisdom is false. But then James also tells us, he says, don't glory in that lie, but recognize it for what it is, earthly, sensual, and devilish. 
See, the source of false wisdom is self-seeking. It is self-promoting. It is attention-getting. It is willing to put down others for your own glory. And what it does for me is it checks all of the boxes that are mentioned in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, where it tells us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here's what it is, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is what? Is not of the Father and is of the world. If it's not of the Father, it's of the devil. And so he's saying a wisdom that is self-serving, that is focused on your own internal lust, the lust of the eye, the pride of life is simply wrong. And James is saying there is no place in a church for pride, for envy, for, uh, uh, for selfish ambition. And if it is allowed into our church and if it's allowed into your life personally, the end result is only going to be destruction. Look at verse 16 again. He says, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Confusion in every evil work. Think about it. Confusion and evil works in the church. <gasps> right? How? I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. The, the, the first church that I served in in the United States, there was some confusion. There was a lot of confusion and there was some evil works. And as I look back now with a little bit of actual wisdom and time, I see the self-serving false, false wisdom, the, 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 the splitting up of groups, right? We call them cliques, right? It's kind of fun to do that after you say it, click, right? And you see these different groups and how there was sort of a leader, right? And they sort of had their idea and you see all of these divisions. Some of you maybe experienced that before in places that you've been and, and, uh, and you're like, what's going on here, Right? That always leads to confusion, right? The pastor gets up. Uh, just imagine for a minute, okay, this half, you're one group, and you're one group, right? Stands the leader. How's the leader, okay? And they got their own things. Oh, Hal loves that. Okay, now I'm nervous, all right? <laughs> okay, and you've got your own thing, right? Like, you know, how, how things that we should focus on, um, man, I'm going to pick something out. Uh, uh, now I totally drew a blank. All right, Hal, it, he just really wants to feed the poor. That's great. Very admirable. Feeding the poor is great. This whole, you guys, you really want to feed the poor. You're like, man, we're going to Hastings each week. We're going on there. We're feeding the poor. Great, great, great. Okay, that's a good thing. It's biblical principle. We can show biblical, okay? Okay, Stan over here. Oh, what does Stan want to do? Come on, help me out, somebody. Uh, Stan, uh, uh, Stan wants to never feed the poor. There we go. That works. <laughs> Stan never wants to feed the poor. He hates the poor. He hates the poor. What a guy. He is, he's so mean. I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, so Stan thinks that we should do street preaching. That's what Stan thinks. We should, that's a good one. And he thinks that we should all have those milk crates. And, I mean, we should at every corner up and down the street. Every Saturday, we're out just, woo, we're going. We all have those little microphones and the little speakers, you know. And th that's just what we're going to do. This is the most important thing. And you guys, that's what you want to do. Okay. So then I'm the pastor, right? And I'm the pastor. And, uh, and God's called me to have a balanced approach to ministry, right? And I'm also looking at the viability. I'm seeing what the scripture says, where we're located, all, you know, the, the temperature of our neighborhood, uh, how we're responded to. And so the pastor gets up and is like, hey, uh, we're going to go and we're going to be a part of the Hastings Summer Sunrise kickoff. There's going to be 3,000, 4,000 people there. And we're going to give out bottles of water and church invitations. And uh, Stan comes to me and says, well, are we going to be doing any street preaching while we're there? No, sorry, Stan. We're not going to do street preaching at the Hastings. And Hal says, well, are we going to be setting up and feeding some poor people in the area? Uh, no, sorry, Hal. We're not going to be doing that. And then guess what? We're a church divided now. Because then after the service, and I say, we're going to go do this outreach, and Stan goes to his people and sends them all a text message, and Hal sends all of you a text message. What is pastor doing? This doesn't, this isn't feeding anybody, and this isn't preaching at anybody, right? 
And what do we got now? We have division, right? We have, uh, we have confusion. Well, what is our church all about, right? Now, this is not for me to get up and say, you all just need to do what I say. You understand that, okay? But as a church, we've preached about it many times. We have a purpose as a church, don't we? We have a calling from God. We have a, 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 a very specific calling in this neighborhood, and I believe that God has blessed the way that we've approached reaching our neighborhood. Wouldn't you agree? And, and God's used it. And so we want to be unified as a church. And so then if I get up, I'm unified as a church. But then they're upset we're not feeding the poor. And they're upset we're not street preaching. It creates contention and creates issues just like that so quickly. So quickly. Now, it's easy in a small church. We just say, okay, half and half, right? But in larger churches, and as we grow as a church, and I believe the Lord is going to continue to grow and bless us. We have to be aware of, even in our own hearts, tendencies towards being self-serving within a church environment, okay? Because false wisdom is destructive. It is devilish. <laughs> and we cannot allow Satan to bring that into our lives. He's so subtle. He's so crafty, right? No one would ever think that feeding the poor is of the devil, would they? Not a single person in this group. Andy would never get up and be like, hell, this is of the devil. No, of course not, right? Right? <laughs> of course not. Because it's a biblical thing. It's, it's fine. But now we've got issues. We've got, we've got problems. And Satan is so subtle, isn't he? How many times have you believed a lie in your life, right? How many times have you believed a lie about someone else? And, uh, and, and he gets in there, and, and, and essentially what he does is he takes to the driver's seat in our lives. And if we're going to stick with the car thing, the end result is going to be you upside down in a ditch wondering what happened. <laughs> and as you crawl out of the car and you look back and you see the destruction that came from the result of allowing him to take the driver's seat in your life. Okay, that's false wisdom. We have to watch out for it. We have to be careful of it. This is not, by the way, this is what I love about preaching verse by verse because this isn't like, I'm not addressing anything, just so you know, okay? Don't, don't, don't have false wisdom in your mind right now, okay? He's trying to get somebody in the church. No, no, no. This, I love verse by verse because it addresses these things and we can talk about it. And so he says, watch out for false wisdom. But then he gives us the other side of it, which is look for true wisdom. And I, I love this. Verse number 17. He says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now, a person who's filled with jealousy, a person who's filled with selfish ambition, feels like they've got to be first in everything, right? They cannot stand it when somebody else gets a spotlight or when somebody else gets praise in whatever situation and so that'll lead to tragedies and, a, and, and disasters. But the contrast now is what James just showed us here. He contrasts true wisdom and how true wisdom is the answer to harmony within a church family. It is the answer to peace uh, when it comes to our own souls and in our lives. And when you connect all of these things together that he just mentioned, what you will find is a picture of a life that is completely guided and completely directed by God himself and no other outside influences. And again, remember, these are all things that are lived out in a public way, but yet they do not seek attention. So let's talk about them just really quickly, all right? So true wisdom will be, if we're, gonna, if we're to break it all down, write these down real quickly. True wisdom will, first of all, he said, it will be pure, right? I'm just going to give you a really brief overview. What that means, if true wisdom is going to be pure, what it means is that it is void of any false wisdom, meaning no self-serving attitude whatsoever. Complete, it's pure. You could also say, of course, that it's pure, so it's from God, right? It's perfect and it's holy. And so it is pure. 
Uh, there's nothing that characterizes false wisdom. And then he says that it's peaceable. Now, I love this because what it means is that it is somebody who delights in peace and promotes peace. They promote it. It has the idea of uh, going beyond inner peace, but it talks about opposing strife. So not only are you for peace, but you don't just sit there saying, I am for peace, but you actually oppose strife, meaning you take a step towards it. You try to do something to resolve any issues, resolve problems that could, that could come about. You are a peacemaker. Also true wisdom is gentle, meaning you're not combative, you're not abrasive. It is, uh, uh, it is reasonable and courteous. Here's, here's a great way to define gentle. It is, being, it, it, is, it is treating someone in the way that you want to be treated, right? It is the kind of treatment that you want to receive from other people. And so if you think in your heart, I want people to treat me this way, you know, maybe remember when you're a teenager, right? Like, I get no respect, right? <laughs> I want to be treated with respect. I'm 14, you know? Uh, well, <laughs> right? But how many teenagers treat their parents with respect? Mm, right? Okay. Okay, maybe a few. My kids will be different. <laughs> you're like, that's a joke. It is a joke, yeah. <laughs> we'll try. But I'll fail, Right? But that's what we want. We want to be treated that way. So the same, same way for you. How do you want people to treat you? Okay, that's how you need to treat other people. That's what he's saying. That's what it means by true wisdom being gentle. Uh, I love this one, easily entreated. You know what that means? You're open to reason. You're open to reason. You ever met somebody who is not open to anything? It could be the most reasonable fact in the world. I want nothing to do with it, right? It, is a, it means that it's someone who doesn't insist in their own rights and in their own ways, but they're flexible. And here's the key, open to correction. Open to correction. That's true wisdom. True wisdom is not saying, no, 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 I know better than everyone here. You must do what I say, right? But it's someone who's actually open to logical thought, open to, uh, to correction. As well, uh, he says that you'll be full of mercy if you have true wisdom. That is, you show compassion to those who are in need. You allow God's love for you to lead you to love for others. Action, things that are happening. As well, it talks about being full of good fruits. I like how it's plural. Fruits, right? Not just good fruit. Sometimes people say, you know, uh, I've met people before and, 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 uh, and, and they know the one area that God has, has blessed them in. Maybe they're, I don't know, they're kind. And they just, that's what they always talk about. I'm, well, God, I'm just kind. I'm kind. I'm a kind person. I try to be kind to everybody. You ever met that? Met someone like, I just try to be nice and kind to everyone. Uh, but they have no mercy, right? <laughs> they're, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're given to anger, right? Well, but I'm kind. I'm kind. Well, okay, we're going to have fruits, right? Fruits in our lives. So we're full of, of characteristics. We're rich in good deeds. He then also says that yeah, a true, mer a true uh, wisdom is without partiality, meaning it doesn't show favoritism. It's free from prejudice towards people. It's also free from double-mindedness towards God. He dealt with that earlier in the book of James. So it's free from prejudice. Remember how we talked about being double-minded towards God and how we often have an idea of God that doesn't reflect what the Bible reveals to us about God? And so we're free from that prejudice towards the Lord as well. And so uh, that's what it means to be without partiality. And then lastly, it's without hypocrisy. We all know what that means, right? It's sincere and it's genuine. We love genuine people, don't we? We love people who are sincere. Someone who doesn't put on a front. They're not out there uh, putting on a show for, for other people. They're genuine and they are real. And church, this is a picture of true godly wisdom in the life of a believer. And notice all of these, as, as we're reading through them, I hope you are noticing 
how they do not draw attention to a person. Have you noticed that? They should not be drawing attention to a person because of these, uh, these character traits. It's a person who's open, uh, who is open to, honestly, the direction of God. And so when we allow these character traits to be in the driver's seat of our life, as we've used that analogy, the end result is a very wonderful thing. It produces in us righteousness. It produces in us righteousness. In verse 18, it says, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. See, when we follow God's direction, when we follow his will, when we allow true wisdom to flow out of us, what happens is, an, is a life of righteousness, which a life of righteousness is a life that is in, order, is, in, is in direct line with the will of God for you. And that's what James is trying to get across to us. Are you following after the will of God? Are you headed in that right direction? And then as well, he gives us a sequence in verse number uh, 18 where he says, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. The sequence is this, right living is the result of people uh, who are sowing seeds of peace and people of peace are people who are driven by true wisdom. And so all of those things come together. And listen, we want peace, don't we? We want peace in our soul. We want peace in our life. Uh, we want peace with those that we are involved in. Well, it all comes back to right living and following after the will of God. And James is really challenging us here. Don't take lightly what he's talking about. He is challenging us because the, the, the truth I know in my life is this, is that in every aspect of my life, we who know the Lord as our personal Savior have the opportunity to demonstrate that we are functioning and operating on wisdom which is from above in the way that we speak in the way that we live our lives to those that are out there we have an opportunity to demonstrate true wisdom and what that tells me is that God cares about how we live God cares about how we how we represent ourselves to others and so because of that what we can learn is that if we live a life of true wisdom then at some point in our life someone is going to say to you why are you the way that you are okay there's, a, there's, an, there's an external point. It's not just that, okay, your life will go smooth, smoothly, which we know life does not go smoothly. But at least we'll be in the will of God, right? Which gives us the confidence and peace that passes all understanding. However, as we live for the Lord and as we make right decisions and as we live full of mercy, easily entreated, gentle, peaceable, all of these things, as we live in that way, at some point an unbeliever may come to you and say, give me an answer for the hope that lies within you, right? They might come to you and say, how were you able to handle that in such a calm way? Man, everybody in that meeting was, was going crazy, and you were able to clearly articulate <laughs> how we were all feeling <laughs> yeah. in a kind way. What, what is it about you? What is it about you? Guess what? That only happens as you live and walk in true wisdom, in God's wisdom. And the great thing about that is that when they express that desire to you, what is it that's different about you? What is it that has changed? Guess what you can do? Point it to Jesus Christ. <laughs> who, as Corinthians tells us, is true wisdom. <laughs> he is the source of wisdom. He himself represented wisdom from God. And so we can point them to him and to uh, his forgiveness of sins and, and his promise of eternal glory to those that receive him as their savior. You're accomplishing his goals for reaching the world with the gospel as well. And so all of this comes back to the gospel, doesn't it? It all comes back to sharing good, the good news of Jesus Christ with the world. And it, and it all is connected then to our living. And this is why people who, who are like, oh, I'm a Christian, but then they just live like the world. This is where it just breaks down right here. Because they are not 
pointing people to Christ through a life of godly wisdom. They're not. They're not. It just, it just totally breaks down here. Our lives are to reflect Christ, to make right decisions, to, uh, to face life in the appropriate way, and then as a result, point others to him. Point others to him. That's a big aspect of, of the word of God. And, and of course, that's the positive side of it. The negative side of it is that if we do not walk in true wisdom, there's a danger that we will tarnish the name of our God. There's an opportunity that we would reflect worldly and false wisdom. That we would be driven by our own selfish desires, which come up so quickly, don't they? But God says, I want you to walk in wisdom. That's why we must every day pray and ask the Lord for wisdom. <laughs> That's why James uh, said at the very beginning of his book, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And if we ask of God, he will give it to you, right, liberally, and upbraideth not, meaning God's not going to be a discerner of persons when it comes to his wisdom. Remember, we looked at that. God is not like, uh, Brandon, 60% wisdom, you know, because I know what you did last summer, right, or whatever it is, 60%. He was happy with that, actually. That is pretty good. That's pretty good. 60% level up, all right, good. But God doesn't do that. He gives to men wisdom as we ask, as we follow him, as we pursue his word, as we walk in truth. And listen, we need the wisdom of God in our lives. And we need his help to live righteously before him. So let me just ask you real quickly, who's in the driver's seat of your life right now? Is it, fall, is it a earthly wisdom? Is it sensual? Is it devilish? Is it, is it based off of your own selfish desires, trying to maybe build something or create something? in your life, or is it simply out of the things of God? Pursuing Him, not out of selfish desires, there is a noticeable difference. And guess what? It fluctuates too. It fluctuates from decision to decision. You ever notice that? Some, you know, decisions about your family, we can very quickly get very selfish about, can't we? And very self-serving. But then like maybe it's a decision about church or something else and, and oh, we're very, you know, very open. Listen, there needs to be some, some consistency. And then you can be like that person driving that car who's well-trained and ready to go and can face whatever curves and bumps and challenges and other people's bad decisions that come our way. We can react in the proper way. We hope today's message was an encouragement in your relationship with Christ. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you